0: Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this!
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Side Podcast Network with myself, your host, Silas Martin. My co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today we're here mostly to recap an absolute fucking shit show of a UFC pay-per-view event. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time some shit, anything like this happened. Um, of course, UFC 279... Uh, scheduled to be Nate Diaz versus Hamza Chimaev in main event, uh, which was already a stupid uh, main event that shouldn't have been happening. Um, the uh, press conference gets cancelled last minute because everyone got into a fight backstage. And then Hamza Chimaev misses weight by like eight pounds and doesn't really explain why or even seem particularly bothered about it. So the top three fights all fucking get moved around on uh, 24 hours notice. Um, and made the card order honestly better, and what it should have been all along. Um, but of course the fights were all taken on twenty-four hours notice, so nobody had prepared for their opponents. And I mean, Li Liang got fucked the absolute most in this whole equation because he ends was supposed to be fighting. Tony Ferguson, like which was is like just a, a legend layup matchup and like an, an easy knockout over over a big name, um, and he ends up getting Daniel Rodriguez, who's very good and a bad style matchup for him, and like weighed in ten pounds heavier than him because he was fighting a one eighty catchweight, and then Li Jing Liang probably should have won, and then got robbed on, on the judges' scorecard. You know, we'll talk about that later. So, anyway, main event ends up being, um, you know, it was a, a fun Legends fight in Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson, and, and I enjoyed this fight for what it was, you know, it being a kind of just dialed-down version of a fight that they probably should have had <laughs> like six years ago or something. Um, at, you know, a time where it would have been an, you know, an all-time banger, probably. Um, I mean, all of that being said, both guys look pretty dreadful uh for tony ferguson in particular um i'm really not sure what point to like like at this point what to attribute his like weird sort of moment of rejuvenation in the Mag- michael chandler fight to um because you know he just just his whole like sense of timing and distance and everything just looked non-existent in this he was just constantly overthrowing and just turning through into spinning back fists that would, like, never landing. You know, just, like, he he kind of seemed to be having some fun back in some old Tony Ferguson flow, but it didn't really work for him. He mostly just had to low kick and run away, and Nate enjoyed something of a, like, size advantage um, and just, a, like, probably cardio advantage as well, having actually been in a full fight camp for five rounds and Tony Ferguson you know, being known for his conditioning, but also still taking the fight on three weeks notice. And it originally being a three round fight against Li Jing Liang. So, um, he kind of like mostly just like, uh, destroyed Nate with low kicks over the first three rounds and like, kind of probably, uh, should have gotten a stoppage for it when Nate just walked off and started shaking his head, but he's Nate Diaz. So he got away with it. And, uh, in the fourth round, Nate just like, uh, walked him down and, As uh, Tony started running away, he did the exact shot that he knocked out Grey Maynard with and that Charles Oliveira knocked out Michael Chandler with. We just do the left hook as they're running away along the cage. And uh, Tony got hurt and shot into a guillotine. And that was the fight. Christian, what did you make of this fight and this whole fucking situation that led to it in the first place? Uh, Well,
0: I thought it was a fucking situation, but Nate Diaz isn't really the type of guy that gets phased by that type of shakeup. You know, he he said he was training for like a full wrestling camp, which
1: which is a lie yeah. because before that he said, "Oh, I don't train for opponents anymore. I just I just do my thing." Yeah, he was probably so just, he's just Nate, absolute Nate Diaz he was bullshit. Probably his
0: coach, like, hey, um, we need to be doing takedown defense, and he was like, "Fine," and then just did it. But, uh, I don't know. I assume his takedown defense for the fight was already just gonna be pole guillotine because he's a guard player whenever someone's really actively going at him. But I, I thought it was a good fight to watch if you're a Nate Diaz fan, even though he looked fucking old as shit, because he looks bad in the sense that he's old and and withered. But Tony looks bad in the sense that he doesn't know what to do anymore. Like he just doesn't. He forgot how to fight because he's so old. Uh, Which is a, a distinct difference, because you can be old and still fight well. Like Nate Diaz, was He was pure Nate Diaz this fight. He was uh, deciding to go forward whenever he was kind of getting his ass beat. Uh, leg kicks started getting him to adjust. He was getting kicked in the leg frequently, but he would try and check. He started coming forward more to like, off-put Tony's ability to throw leg kicks and just kind of keep him on the back foot. He was pressuring all right. Uh, he was at least pressuring insistently, if not the most uh, cohesively. While Tony was just kind of...
1: He got better mm-hmm. as it Better at it as the fight went on. Yeah, and while
0: Tony was just kind of, oh, I'll just overthrow and do a spinning elbow, or I'll do a leg kick and then shuffle out of range and back up onto the fence. It it seemed like Nate Diaz was actually like really trying to win, whereas Tony just forgot what to do to try and win.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's some kind of influence from Jackson Wink where he's been, because this was a pretty... old tony ferguson at jackson wink kind of performance like he just didn't pressure at all and just like emphasized low kicks and and mobility which is is, you know know, tony ferguson used to have like an actual game off the back foot when he needed to and uh the amount he was turning his back in this fight was quite concerning yeah and there's I guess he always used to turn his back. He just used to just be athletic enough to do cool shit with it, and now he's just old and can't do it, and it just looks it just looks miserable. And there's
0: like tactical reasons to explain a lot of his difficulties against Nate. Like Tony's used to having a, a large reach advantage over his opponents, but Nate is actually a bit better at range than Tony.
1: Yeah, and Nate has not been able to make one fifty five for a few years, whereas Tony just kind of didn't cut weight to to make this fight.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. I thought Nate was, I mean, it was a good performance. If you want to watch Nate Diaz do Nate Diaz shit, he was getting fucked up by leg kicks and then just decided, you know what? I'm fine. I'm just going to fucking sit over here for a bit. And the ref was like, Hey, start fighting. Tony was like, Hey, fuck you. And kind of like leaned into it. If Tony had just been like, Hey, he's done. The ref would have been like, Hey, you know, fight or or I'll stop it. But Tony's just going to indulge it. So, uh, there was also one part where he baited Tony into walking into a punch in the face by being like, oh, oh, my leg. So there's good gamesmanship by Nate Diaz, which you always love to see. And he's he's maybe the best bullshitter in the sport right now. There's some good bullshitters right now, but he's just. His bullshit is so funny as well as being effective, like he'll just decide to stop fighting and not get in trouble for it or receive any consequence for it and it kind of like it slowed uh it slowed leon edwards roll down and nate diaz is the last person to hurt the champion uh, at welterweight and then he beat up tony ferguson by kind of scrambling his brain uh despite him being old but he scrambled his brain a bit with that and uh then there was some actual fighting uh techniques that he did that were pretty nice he was uh Parapering him from really long range to get close and then he would hit the body once he got Tony on the cage. Tony tried some body shots as well, but it it just he wasn't committing to it as much as Nate was.
1: Yeah, I just don't know like Tony Ferguson committing to like mobility and offensive wrestling and stuff that have never been staples of his game. Like I think he he won the first round against Michael Chandler because he's just like, okay, I'll do basic boxing shit and guard play this is the shit i can still kind of do and it fucking worked and i i don't know what he was doing in this fight and the, you yeah. know the low kicks also, did well for him but and you know had it been a three round fight which is what he was booked for originally he would would have won
0: <sighs> yeah and also like michael chandler has a greatly diminished chin is much shorter and If it was a prime versus prime matchup, he would have a lot of issues with things that Tony does, and then Tony just had to kind of be a a shadow of his former self to then win a round, but still get sparked. Whereas this one, I feel like Tony Ferguson would have consummately beaten the shit out of Nate Diaz on the feet. Were they fighting prime for prime? But it would have been a little fucky looking, and if they went to the ground, it would have been a lot more competitive than Tony would have wanted it to be. Like I I think that Nate Diaz is. Nate, you can give nate diaz shit for all of his weird mma uh just being like, nate diaz i guess issues yeah like he he's not very good at dealing with kickers he's gotten better at it but he's just not very good Marine, at it uh, most of his kick defense is just range
1: he he but he's, he's so
0: slow that he can't even force that range the he, way he wants to he's he's just been checking
1: some kicks basically since like the anthony Pettis fight
0: yeah like he, he does his best
1: I mean, he broke Anthony Pettis's foot and shredded Tony Ferguson's shin with a couple good checks. So.
0: Yeah, he's not a good wrestler, but he's a good boxer still, and his jiu-jitsu is still pretty fucking top tier. It's not like the best in the in the sport by any means, but it's really good still, and I think he, even in his prime, would have given Tony a lot of issues in jiu-jitsu yeah, well, It was also
1: just like but, whack to see Tony Ferguson just shoot into a guillotine, even against Nate Diaz.
0: Well, his... His corner was telling him to shoot, but I mean, I guess shooting isn't a terrible idea in the earlier round against Nate Diaz. But if you're withering and getting fucked up on the fence, then shooting's the last thing you want to do because Nate's ready for it. Like if you surprise Nate with a takedown, he's not just like he, you literally can't just decide to go for a guillotine grip. If someone gets the right entry on you, but he went for an entry that Nate Diaz is like finished fights with pretty fucking consistently. It seemed if I didn't know any better, I would think that Tony was just kind of giving himself up to be guillotined because he knew he was out of it. Yeah,
1: but I yeah,
0: uh, and didn't want to get TKO. But I,
1: I know I know Tony Ferguson is still like just absurdly mentally tough. He's just not like not good at fighting anymore.
0: Well, yeah, he's also like this is not me uh, trying to insult <sighs> Tony Ferguson at all. It's just objective fact. He is mentally ill. Like he has had a lot of mental difficulties throughout his career and they've only gotten worse with extra brain damage. I don't think he's capable of recognizing his limitations because in his post-fight interview, he was saying, oh yeah, I'm fucking back, baby. Mm. Which is just not the thing you want to hear from someone that kind of just got outclassed by a bad style matchup. And you know, people can say, oh, he won the early rounds, but optics-wise, I mean, I guess if you want to score it, literally, yeah, maybe he won some of the first... Three rounds on like attrition, but he was getting boxed up still, and he wasn't really getting any hand offense off and in the one grappling exchange of the fight, he got submitted instantly and then tapped with the quickness so like he it was not even a like a character of what Tony Ferguson once was. it was like a character in that you cut half of what he used to do out of it and then add being like having no chin. Anymore, like his chin is still there, but he's getting hurt by everything Nate Diaz really landed on his chin.
1: Yeah, uh, is is getting is getting really sad at this point. It,
0: it's a it's at the point where the commission needs to stop letting Tony Ferguson fight. He's not mentally fit to be fighting anymore. Yeah,
1: but he's never going to stop, and commissions don't really be doing that. So
0: I mean, yeah, like they they were letting BJ Penn fight you know, nine fights deep into a losing streak when he couldn't even, like, say a coherent thought in an interview.
1: Absolute ghost of Chuck Liddell got sanctioned to fight. You know, this is just, uh, this is going to be a thing.
0: Fighters like Tony Ferguson are just kind of a showcase of how bad uh, a poorly managed career can go if you get a little unlucky. Or he got very unlucky. Like, he had some of the worst luck in MMA history, I think at least at a high level
1: yeah most most of the people who most of the people who have really bad luck in MMA it stops them from ever getting to a high level but he just had it consistently while he was like one of the best lightweights in the world
0: yeah and and Tony Ferguson you know people give him shit for the Khabib matchup because you know people have retroactively made it to where Khabib would have easily beaten him at any stage but had they fought in like 2016 or something or like early 2017 he could have given Khabib some fits uh just on length and the striking matchup and how athletic and dynamic he was on the initial takedown attempt scramble. Like he could have done things to bother one of the greatest fighters ever. And just because he's now old as shit and getting dusted by people that sh- don't really belong to have been in there with the prime version of him. Uh, I mean, he hasn't even fought anyone that bad yet. I mean, Nate Diaz would have been in a banger with him in their prime, but it would have been the Tony Ferguson win, I think.
1: Michael Chandler would have been a banger, but Tony would have beat his ass.
0: Yeah, and especially if Tony fought that version of Michael Chandler, he would have just knocked him out in the first round.
1: Yeah, he definitely would have just knocked out Benil Dariush.
0: Yeah, he would have fucked up Benil Dariush as well. Charles Oliveira and and Gaethje Gaethje, are the only two people that I think would have given Tony a considerable difficulty, even in his prime.
1: But all of that being said, people... Like, I, I feel like there's just going to be like waves of uh, just people rewriting Tony Ferguson history. And like, now everyone's just going to be like, no, Tony Ferguson's trash and he was never good. And then in a few years, people will be like, you know, Tony Ferguson's underrated. He was really good. And then that will just keep happening.
0: Yeah. He, he's at a very depressing end of his career. Yeah. And, and it's, it's looking to get more and more depressing because now they're probably just going to rematch the Li Jing Liang fight. Which is just not good for him. I don't know
1: how long they're even going to keep him around in the UFC at this point.
0: I don't know. He could go over and like, oh, they're going to make him fight Kevin Lee in the Eagle FC.
1: Um, you know what? If Tony Ferguson's going to fight again, Tony Ferguson versus Diego Sanchez?
0: I kind of think Diego takes.
1: see. You, you, you think Tony would sign with Khabib's promotion? Yeah. To be like, yeah, I'll fight, I'll fight Khabib in
0: his promotion. But then, in a, a dramatically less depressing fight, but still pretty weird, uh, Kamayev fought Kevin Holland. Wasn't that weird? I thought it was just weird, because it happened on such short notice, and Kevin Holland is definitely not ranked enough to be getting a fight with Kamayev. No, it was
1: just the way to... Because, you know, the, the the leech got freed up when Tony Ferguson moved into the main event, but Kamayev already destroyed the leech so this is just what they had to do i guess like Chimaev and kevin holland they have some history of beef there was the whole dildos incident if anyone remembers that i'm not going to elaborate on that at all people who know know
0: uh yeah and i i want to mention before we get into the the three fights that got changed before like immediately after finding out the fights got changed i was thinking oh nate diaz is going to fuck up tony ferguson I was thinking Kamaev should easily be Kevin Holland, but I was given Kevin Holland like a good fighting chance and he showcased that. And then for me, I was thinking he was going to knock him out. Dan Rodriguez.
1: Yeah. Um, I was like holding out hope that just because of the absolute bullshit that was going on with Kamaev and him just seeming like an absolute space case um, that he was going to come in fighting like an idiot. And Kevin Holland was going to f- fighting with like a new intensity. <coughs> that didn't happen. Kevin Holland just got immediately taken down while he was, like, uh, uh, waking up. Um, and then kind of, like, did a cool scramble and got up and then got taken down again and then fought off a dash choke and then got dashed. You know, uh, he did okay for, for a fight where he uh, didn't land a strike and got finished in two minutes.
0: Yeah, that, that being said, he showed the athletic potential so where if he finally actually gets good at it, just traditional wrestling, not just scrambling like he he did a scramble that caused both of the fighters to be literally in the air for a full second, like they did a backflip and were both midair for a long time and then landed on their feet. You know, like it was a, they're very athletic. Kevin Holland was not outmatched physically. He just is not as good at wrestling. And if someone can cling to him, he's fucked.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and you know Chumayev, or if you can square him out yeah Chmaev, of course an incredibly talented fighter but all of that being said uh, he's a fucking dumb useless idiot like how do you fucking blow this when you have a title shot lined up and then they give you like uh, a layup against a legend for you to just go out and smush before you just get your title shot. And you know, if he had, if he had just done th- this exact thing to Nate Diaz, then they would have just like skipped over a Usman rematch and had him fight Leon Edwards. Instead, he comes in fucking way overweight. Like, it doesn't even seem to give a fuck. Uh, has all of these fights moved around? You know, fucking... You know, D- Daniel Rodriguez and Li Jing Liang, just solid fucking professionals who turned up to do their job, and they had to deal with this bullshit just just to get paid. Like like Chimaev, I don't I don't know what happened with his purse, but he should have his entire purse taken away, and it should be split between Kevin Holland, Li Jing Liang, and Daniel Rodriguez. And that's all I fucking have to say about this fight.
0: Yeah, and something interesting about Kamayev's progression is that this would be a reasonably matched fight had they not given Kamayev burns, which made him way higher ranked at welterweight than he should have been. This fight wasn't even at welterweight, but you know it was a, scheduled basically as a welterweight matchup. It's two welterweights fighting. Kind of. But, I don't know, Gilbert Burns is one of Kamayev's easiest matchups in theory at the top of welterweight. It's still, it's still kind of a difficult matchup, but still... Like, it, it's a very winnable matchup compared to, you know, if you give him Usman, who is still a winnable matchup in theory, but we haven't seen enough to know that, whereas we have, we had already seen enough to know he would give Kevin Holland a bunch of fucking issues.
1: Yeah, I'd probably pick Shemayev over Colby Guggington, but I'm not going to say it's an easy fight.
0: Yeah, like, Colby would probably hang in there a couple rounds. I think it was a, a well-matched fight that, in the context of having Shemayev already fought a top welterweight, made no sense. Because why were they even giving him Nate Diaz to begin with? Just give him a fight against like Colby, or give him a fight against Michael Chiesa. Just anyone that would make sense in the fight. This
1: whole thing was just weird. They're just, they're just burning time while we wait till get to the good one.
0: Yeah, and then a fight where we can actually talk about some stuff. Uh, D-Rod fought Li Jingleon.
1: Yeah, um, this was an okay fight for just, like you know, the context of the whole thing. Um... Probably would have been a much better fight had they actually been training for each other. And, you know, Li Jing Liang uh, typically doesn't like uh, southpaws and people who are bigger than him. Uh, He had issues with the southpaw jab for, like, good portions of this fight
0: a um, certain point just started switching stances and trying to do his normal game but from Southpaw. Yeah, he
1: would he 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 was, he was like well well the body kicks open and then and then would do that and would land in Southpaw and be like oh, okay and then would realise that he doesn't actually have a game from Southpaw. Um he'd just like try and wing a big left left hand and it wouldn't work. And okay, I guess I'll switch back. Um But I mean the thing about D Rod is he's like he's like really He's really sharp when he's like uh, being rangy and sticking behind that nice southpaw jab. But it, it, his feet can get kind of fucky in exchanges, and uh, like uh, there was a moment we got hurt really bad by a right hand. Um, I think he got like kicked really hard, and then tried to like parry and counter the kick, but then just got and um, just got hit back really hard, or or something like that. Um, and like. Towards the end of the fight, Leech started doing a decent job of like actually like slipping the Southpaw jab and trying to like wing big right hands through the open side from it. Like trying to just try and do the thing he does against orthodox fighters, but against the Southpaw, and it was like I I thought Leech probably should have won this fight, but it was pretty damn close.
0: Yeah, I I also think that despite uh, Leech having a full training camp for this fight, he was more underprepared than D-Rod was because D-Rod was actually training for the he was training to fight a opponent that should be on his level and would be a difficult fight. Whereas Leech he was training to go knock out Tony Ferguson. You could tell that his entire game plan in camp was just built around, oh I'll just throw away one punch then knock out the guy as he exits. Because yeah. he he was trying to do that over and over and over, but that's not gonna work against someone that's actually not past it as fuck you know like it, it's a good technique like leech has knocked out several people with it but he knocked out ponsanibio with it you know someone that's passed it he would have knocked out tony very quickly based on the performance you saw cuz tony was just doing things that would have gotten him knocked up like when i was watching tony fight i was thinking oh he would have gotten knocked the fuck out by leech the way that he was fighting right?
1: oh yeah i mean leech is just a huge punch and as i said like you don't beat the leech by having exchanges with
0: him but but he, even then like leech was specifically training to knock out yeah, tony yeah no, I, know, I know i know ex- i know exactly D-Rod what you mean not have those tendencies. They're, they're, i
1: think they were both coming in on like a few weeks but um but but yeah ex- exactly like d-rod had an opponent that he had to take a lot more seriously than Leech did. Um, and yeah, and just he had of, to cut less weight.
0: Yep. And it's just showcasing, like, you have to pay attention to who you're fighting a lot more or a lot less than you have to focus on just being in good shape and ready to fight someone, especially in MMA where shit's just volatile and anything can happen. Because, you know, you're not supposed to expect something like this to happen, but it happens frequently enough nowadays to where he's like, just be prepared. So I don't have that much sympathy for Leech losing. In either way, it's like a well-matched fight. They should have been fighting each other anyways. Yeah. So the fact that he lost to them when they they both had short notice is indicative of a greater issue for him.
1: Yeah, it's just whack that like Leech by far got the short end of the straw with with this whole fucking mix-up. And Leech is cool. I, I, I like to see him do well. But, you know, D-Rod's cool as well. And, uh, I mean, just just rebook the Kevin Holland fight.
0: Honestly, just do a rematch of this fight, but give him a full camp.
1: Or do that. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be Kevin down for Kevin of Holland things. probably needs to step back. I mean, I think Kevin Holland versus D-Rod was perfectly well matched.
0: Yeah, but now that he has a loss, they're probably just going to be like, oh, well, you know, give give him...
1: Uh... I'll give him, give him a Muslim Salakov for the, the real king of Kung oh. Fu.
0: Okay, that's a sick fight. Yeah, right? Um, yeah, uh, Irene Aldana... Finished
1: Macy Chiazhan with an axe kick to the liver off of her back. It was fucking ill.
0: Yeah, there's like basically nothing else to say Not, about it.
1: Like, Irene Aldana beat the fuck out of Macy Chiazhan in the first round. And then Macy Chiazhan beat the fuck out of Irene Aldana in the second round. And then in the third round, Aldana was like sitting in guard and Chia Son was trying to clear the legs and she got axe kicked in the liver and it just like knocked her out immediately it was brutal
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's, that's yeah. what do you want so to say about this that,
0: that's our analysis it was one of the illest
1: I, finishes you'll ever see and it's like you can you can just watch the finish
0: yeah, it was sick, but not that much takeaway. No, nope. <laughs> aside from my Aldana is an all-time creative talent because I've never seen that shit in my life before.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I'm hoping she just absolutely breaks the meta of guard play now that people have seen that happen. She probably won't though. M- yeah. MMA fighters are stupid and not innovative.
0: Um, uh, and then Johnny Walker.
1: Fucking. Yeah, in the
0: only fight that took place in a normal weight class.
1: Suplexed. Ewan Kutalaba. And Rear Naked choked him? I, I mean, yeah, Ewan is not a good defensive grappler. And he like just makes mistakes because he's always absolutely furious and johnny walker has been at SBG for for quite a while now which is a grappling gym it's It's, a jiu-jitsu gym yeah
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, uh we could have summed up this fight in johnny walker went to a jiu-jitsu gym and then submitted a guy that's really bad jiu-jitsu and is smaller than johnny walker like kudalov is not a small guy but he's smaller than johnny walker Walker. he's
1: fucking huge um, uh, Hakeem Dewodu. Um, why do keep why do people keep messing weight against Julian Arosa and not asking him for the one fifty catch weight? It's simply
0: rude. Well, because Julian Arosa will just knock you the fuck out, guaranteed. You want him to be weight trained? Yeah, yeah,
1: ex- yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean yeah Hakeem obviously did struggle with his weight cut in this fight because his like reactions looked uh, pretty dreadful in this fight uh, that being said it was just a solid performance from Julian Arosa to just like work behind his reach and like counterpunch. and his defense looked okay
0: um, and in the first round Arosa went for two takedowns that after that Hakeem looked so shaky on the feet his striking game falls not completely apart, but it gets a lot more rudimentary and not in a good way. If you even threaten a takedown, yeah, and
1: then Julian Rose Rosa... fucking bombed on him and like dropped him in the first round, yeah. and then the takedown was just there, and he spent a ton of time just like uh, riding Diwody from from back control. Um, so you know, I, yeah, Julian Rose
0: is a sneaky guy to fight if you're uh, supposed to be this super cultured striker, but he can do a takedown on you and then make the fight really ugly
1: it's just the bad strikers that hit really hard that knock out Julian Arosa you know uh, Toto Ishihara Artem Lobov
0: yeah like if if you have to be super skilled to beat Julian Arosa it's probably not going to work like he's crafty enough to where he'll just figure out a way to take away your skill set but he is a lot worse at taking away your power than he is at taking away your skill set. Yeah,
1: or if the play is just to bang with you, and like he can maintain it, then like that that, that just works for him in a bunch of fights as well. Even against like, uh, you know, Sean Woodson uh, and Charles Jordan, who are like a perfectly like respectable like
0: or Nate Landwehr.
1: Yeah, all all, all like a. Uh, Wins that have aged really well and like respectable, like offensive threats. So you know, let's fucking go, Juicy J. Like, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. Fuck all them hoes want to talk that shit. Um, I'm counting. You know, even though uh, uh Julian Rosa did his job and made weight for both of those fights, I am counting uh, both of the fights. Uh, where his opponents missed weight, there being this fight and his last fight against Steven Peterson as defenses of Julian a 150-pound uh, UFC title, where he is uh, uh, 4-0. Yeah.
0: And uh, Jelton Almeida submitted a guy immediately. Mm-hmm. Or not like that immediately, but he took three down and submitted him like in four minutes. Yeah is what the UFC was expecting when they made the fight. Yeah,
1: they'll probably give that guy an easier fight now because he did them a favor and got destroyed by the super prospect on short notice. That's how these things go. There's not really much to say about it.
0: Yeah, and then uh, Jamie Pickett got need and then ground strikes really hard. It was uh, the, one of the more tepid uh, TKOs you'll ever see. He just hit him and then the MMA finished him. Mm-hmm. I mean, not a bad look for for Dennis for Lillian. It's, uh it, it was a, a good win for him, mm-hmm. but not all that much to take away. But
1: where, uh, whereas a fight that okay, if, genuinely, if there's one fight you're going to watch off of this card, fucking uh, Jake Collier versus Chris Barnett. Well, when you said Jake Collier was going to uh, know how to box and knock Chris Barnett out, uh, I suppose you were right. But fucking
0: yeah tri- it just didn't work. Matt
1: Chris Barnett didn't get the fucking memo because he's a warrior and got back into this fight and just ended up absolutely destroying Jake Collier on the ground <laughs> like not, not a ton of uh, technical stuff, but you know this is this is what real fucking fighting is, man, you know, and he's just like any any win that Chris Barnett gets in the UFC is just fucking uh it's beautiful. He's a beautiful man.
0: Yeah, and kind of like heartbreaking is uh, Chris Barnett. His wife passed somewhat recently, and then he had one of the more gutsy performances of his career, despite not really being that type of fighter previously. So uh, upsetting, but, you know, he made a very good account of himself. Yeah, and he didn't really even lean into the fuck shit in this fight. He just bit down and and banged with the guy. He didn't
1: even have time to do any of that shit he just, he just was getting destroyed yeah. and was like oh fuck i gotta go get this
0: good, good on chris barnett uh jake collier I, I saw someone make the analysis point that jake collier is a middleweight that got like large and then uh chris barnett has just been heavy his whole life
1: mm-hmm. he's, he's like so this it was, fight was, it, it
0: was literal weight strength versus a guy who has artificial weight strength
1: Yeah, this was Chris Barnett saying my culture is not your prom dress to Jake Collier. Pretty much. Uh, We're not going to talk about the prelims.
0: Yeah, they were pretty uneventful. Alotanke Lee versus Chad Angeliger is a good fight, but it wasn't anything spectacular.
1: We're just going to get straight on into the fight night that we got coming up this Saturday uh, with a absolute banger of an actually relevant and competitive fight uh, in the bantamweight division between Corey Sandhagen and Song Yudong Uh, and this is cool because Corey Sandhagen is uh, definitely one of my favorite fighters and we haven't actually got to talk about him yet so uh, Christian, why is Corey Sandhagen so fucking dope?
0: Uh, He has ridiculous athletic attributes and is a a very deep thinking fighter. He has one of the largest vertical jumps in the sport. He uh, kicks pretty hard. He's his hands aren't that powerful, but he's pretty quick and he has great cardio for the output that he, he comes in with and his actual strength is pretty under considered. Uh, he's, he's not a weak fighter at all and he's very adaptable. He's shown in matchups like against uh, a that he can actually grapple with someone of that level whereas previously people thought that he was just kind of a scramble into jiu type guy but he's he's able to hang with really anyone in any phase at bantamweight which is an impressive feat for someone that only got an mma at like 23 yeah
1: don't like uh write the guy off as a grappler just because he got immediately strangulated by aljomaine sterling that's the that, that, that doesn't mean you are a bad grappler um no, Corey Samming is cool as Like, he's yeah, um,
0: before that, he, he kind of out grappled uh, half of the sun's out. yeah,
1: uh, in spots. And you know, he's just incredibly creative, both with his like striking shot selection and like, yeah, like you say, like, uh wrestling scrambles and like weird transitional stuff you remember when he fucking uh flying knee tj dillashaw and then like fell over the top of him into an inverted triangle and then used it to get in a heel hook which he exploded tj dillashaw's knee with
0: yeah he isn't he's not just uh, athletically capable he's also very creative like-
1: actually creative not just because he does spin moves like the way he sequences and connects different moves and ideas of of, like in fighting together is really interesting to watch and he's just like one of the classiest out fighters in mma like all as well as all of the stuff he's uh he's got a really nice jab uh he's just got like pretty solid footwork like he can like 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 he he can pivot off behind stuff Hits the body a lot. His
0: his defense, yeah, his defense falters, but he has really good ideas behind it, and he's definitely not uh, defensively irresponsible by any stretch. Against Yan, a lot of people were expecting him to just kind of get wrestled, but instead he took the wrestling offense to Yan, which kind of offset Yan's ability to get his own grappling going. Like anytime time uh, Pyotr Yan would turn his back, he would get his back taken and then kind of get shot on. Or in, in the striking exchanges, whenever he started uh, kind of getting lit up, and uh, Yan would try and blast him, he would just get really fucking close to him and put his sh- shoulder to Yan's shoulder, and then pivot off to the center. Like he he has a very educated understanding of positioning, which it, it really it just outshines most of his other attributes, I think, because it's not something a fighter that young in their career should be that good at.
1: Yeah, and his like his defensive systems can get a little wacky because he is such a like innovative fighter. Um, But it's also just like a really tall and long for Bantamweight and has a style that actually uses that. And it is like hard to close distance on him when he's just like peppering you with jabs and being really mobile and not like sitting down on really hard offense until he feels like he's got you dead to rights positionally. Uh, and then he also has a ridiculous chin and he's like stupid. He's just like stupid tough. So
0: yeah. Song Yedong on the other hand, uh, one of the biggest knockout hitters in the sport maybe right now. So if anyone's going to bring the great equalizer to all of Corey Sandhagen's skilled uh, proficiencies, it, it could be Song Yedong.
1: Yeah, I mean, and Song Yudong Song is Yudong also is, a very is, solid is fighter awesome. who we seeing like genuine improvements yeah. in like fight to fight, and like, as you say, especially
0: his last like three.
1: Yeah, and as you say, as like uh, one of the most imposing physical forces at bantamweight, he's a fucking ridiculous athlete. Um, you know, he, and
0: he's not just powerful hitter; he's fast. Yeah, like he's, he's one of the faster guys in the sport,
1: really quick. And he, you know, he knows what he's doing everywhere. He's f- really fucking hard to out wrestle. You know, he's strong. Uh um he, he's had a good chip. Yeah, but he's ridiculously durable and he's like like pretty solid from range, working behind jabs and kicks, and like is good about keeping mobile and like uh you know uh like working behind those long range shots and then like a very suddenly just changing rhythm and exploding forward with a, a, a huge powerful counter blitzing combination. Um, he did, however, kind of get uh, mostly uh, outclassed off of the back foot by a guy who could just stay mobile and jab in uh, Kyler Phillips, kind of not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, you can definitely see the improvements then in his fight with Julio Arce, who, is just like a deeper and more skilled striker than Kyler Phillips and like a dedicated outfighter, but he's like way slower and just generally, you know, despite being a reasonably successful UFC featherweight, had absolutely no pronounced physical advantages over Song Yidong, um, And was just like way more insistent about like actually about trying to pressure Song Dong back and have exchanges with him. Whereas Ky- Kyler Phillips just, uh, uh, mostly just kind of like, uh, like like circled away off of jabs and stuff like that and actually uh, hurt Song Yudong really bad with a head kick in the first round I don't know how much of that fight to put down to like uh, Song Yudong was writing off Kyler Phillips as much as we were in that fight and also assuming that he was just going to go out and e- uh, easily knock the guy out and Then Kyler Phillips just turned out to be sneaky good and also athletic as fuck um, that being said, it just seems like a blueprint that Corey Sandhagen is like well poised to replicate, even with the improvements that Song Yudong has made. You know, particularly with his reach advantage, uh, the fact that we've seen Song Yudong fade in three round fights. Um, yeah, I, uh, I can just see like Corey Sandhagen coming in and like really working behind his range and just like taking away Song Yudong's tools over the course of the fight and finishing him late.
0: Yeah, and there's a real good chance that uh, if the fight gets grapply, Corey Sandigan could just RNC him.
1: Or like something weird.
0: Yeah, he could get something weird off. This is completely off topic, but Soggy Dong has a loss by groin kicks. Wait, what? On his record, he has a loss by groin kicks. It's his second loss.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Terrence Crawford did knock Amaya Khan out with a dick punch, and that Counted as a win. Maybe it's if you don't take the five minutes, you're just like, no, fuck this, I'm going home. I think that might, yeah, maybe. might be what it is. I'm going to have to look into that.
0: Uh, but yeah, I, I think that Corey and should win this pretty comfortably, but songy is powerful enough to where he could surprise us if he has had any strides in his skill set since his last fight
1: yeah like i would not be remarkably surprised to see him just like suddenly just teleport across distance and chin cory sandhagen um
0: yeah it just feels like he's poised to get outclassed off the back foot because most of his attacks are very linear and cory sandhagen has an understanding of positioning, not just relative to the cage, but relative to his opponent. Yeah. And so if Songy Dong tries to, you know, throw away a right hand and step in with a really hard left hook, I could see Corey just weaving under it or just sliding out of range of it and countering him with like a right hand that could drop him. Because Songy Dong has a great chin, but Corey Sanhagen has impeccable timing
1: yeah and also like songs uh, his mechanics can get pretty wacky when he thinks he's got his guy hurt and he's like going for a finish he will like he, he will swing some fucking crazy loopy shit and he's like just fast and powerful and like can still be accurate even with those kind of shots that he can fuck people up real good with him but it doesn't, doesn't matter if you just get timed with a really crisp straight while you're swinging over and a left hook you, you're gonna get fucked up real bad um,
0: yeah uh, and anyone that Corey Sandhagen fights who has a history of like biting down and throwing really fucking hard like coming forward I'm going to say Mike get flying knee Corey Sandhagen throws a lot of flying knees and Songgy Dong leans forward over his feet a lot when he's trying to hunt combinations yeah
1: I mean and most people like John Lineker got flying knee TJ uh, you know Frankie Edgar got his soul taken by a Corey Sandhagen flying knee
0: Yeah, Corey had uh, another flying knee finish against someone that uh, was a lot less notable.
1: Oh, yeah, he uh he flying knee Mario Batista and then arm him. You know, Mario Batista's okay, he's had some good wins. Yeah, he's that's, a that's, a good, that's like actually a win that's aged okay. Um, but yeah, I also just think uh Song Dong I think he kind of has trouble like tracking people down. Like if people don't just like agree to bang in the pocket with him, or like he can't frustrate you, like into coming forward recklessly, and then suddenly exploding across distance when, uh, when you think you've got him backing up. Um, I just can't, I just not really see that shit working on Corey Sandhagen. I think Corey Sandhagen is you know just going to be able to stay further away and. Work his own jabs and kicks, and be like, "Nah, nah, you come over here," um, and and and, and just like use that to build his offense as the fight goes deep. Also, Sandhagen being the one who has like five round experience against the best bantamweights in the world, it's a hard fight for Song. But I think it I don't think it's going to be like easy for Corey at all, and like, uh, you you you, just, you can't count count out a physical force like Song Yudong, particularly one who actually is making clear efforts to improve technical every fight we're seeing him in. So it just stands to be an, an absolutely fantastic main event.
0: I agree. And then in the co-main event, uh, T- Shidi Njokwani versus Gregory Rodriguez is the two best strikers at middleweight. Fight me.
1: A- actual banger. Uh, I love it. Uh, I was just saying how weird middleweight is that the top 10 is like kind of whack past the first like few fighters. And then you've got this fight, which I don't think ha- has a ranking on it at all, which is crazy, because this is a sick fight. Gregory Rodriguez, I've said it before, he's uh, Jacare, if Jacare got super into boxing when he was in his athletic prime. It's just really nice nuts and bolts fundamentals and great shot selection, and he's a fucking terror on the ground. Uh, uh Chidi Njikwani is just like... Uh, he's he's just got like neat little tricks everywhere and he do, he will just get MMA brain and just like try to just like willingly engage grappling situations with someone who he can easily destroy on the feet and just like jump yeah. a dars and end up on bottom but like his willingness to just like try shit everywhere I think has made him like a really sneaky clinch technician Um, and he's
0: very long and powerful yeah uh,
1: and so I don't even know if I have any predictions for this fight, other than it should be fucking sick. Although all of those things being said, I can see GD just, just like engaging a weird scramble with Rodriguez for no particular reason and just suddenly getting tapped.
0: He could get backpacked as well. But I think there's a good chance the fight's going to be a banger for a couple minutes before it gets to that, and that leaves Chidi a lot of room to get a finish. Because Rodriguez, he's got a great chin, but it's not uncrackable. Has he been knocked out? No, but he's been hurt in a few fights. Yeah, he's
1: definitely been hurt, and he gets tired. You know, He fights well when he's tired, but he's... I mean, look at the guy. He gets
0: tired. <laughs> so, oh, he got, uh, he got lost by punches to Jordan Williams in 2020. Really? Mm.
1: Um... Yeah, and like you said, Cheedy, he's very long and he hits hard, and you know can stay behind, like long straight shots. Yeah, I don't know. Sick fight. Andre Feely is fighting Bill Algio, or as I always call him, we have Corey Sandhagen at home uh, on a card with actual Corey Sandhagen, which is cool. Um, I think uh, Bill Algeo is probably going to win, right? Just like Andre Feely, always being the like long, mobile kickboxer dude, and I was like, "Oh, he's like just like the, the younger generation of the guy who does the same thing that I do, who is like bigger than me and has has a better chin." When you have also when I frame it that way, also does it just make it an OG matchup? But you have to pick the guy who's just more experienced at having that kind of fight. I don't know. I
0: feel like Bill Algio's just. Uh... Not even better than we give him credit for, because we do give him credit for being good. Like it's it's notable to be a worse version of Corey Sandhagen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that his his shot selection is gonna give Feely troubles. Feely has looked a lot worse on the feet in recent years against people that are just competent at striking but if he fights an actual like striker he just
1: got dusted in a minute by Joanderson brito who recently got consummately outclassed by bill algio which i'm not even like doing mma math stuff there i'm i'm just like that was like a concerning look for andre feely to me that's not the kind of thing that happens to him yeah and i I, I, I just Feeley. wasn't giving Joanderson brito much of a chance in that fight and he just he just dusted feely so i i don't know maybe i'm just sad yeah. this edging because i've always like you know Loki appreciated Andre Feely,
0: and and Feely should enjoy like a pretty noticeable size advantage. I don't I know if he Algeo, will. But
1: Bill Algeo's like six foot one.
0: Maybe not, yeah, but I don't know. It just seems like Bill Algeo's very thin.
1: Yeah, we don't be looking at the numbers. We just like, oh yeah, I kind of vaguely remember that what that guy looks like. Yeah, Andre Feely's gotten a lot more jacked in recent years, so maybe he'll maybe he'll just have
0: he's he's been a on- he's been a feather in a very long time and he's fought people that are very large have 30s strength uh then Alan Emidovsky's fighting Joseph Peiffer. Yep.
1: tell me about this Genuinely, one
0: Christian I don't know who Joseph Pfeiffer is I am sorry okay
1: who cares Christian Tanner is fighting I don't think we've got I don't think we've got a chance to talk about Tanabosa before and you are uh the most notable Tanaboza stand online. So uh, go ahead and tell everyone why Tanabosa is so sick.
0: He is incredibly consistent. He he just does jabs and like kick offense. He he's had a bit of a mean streak in him in his last several fights because he recognized that he was just not committing hard enough. He also got a lot more jacked, which has helped him kind of get past that bit of a hurdle. Because he is a small light heavyweight, you know, or a small heavyweight. Yeah, he would be a small light heavyweight if he fought at light heavyweight too. But he's a small heavyweight who is just kind of like he just prefers to be a heavyweight. It seems he's faster than most people he fights. Uh, some of you may remember he actually fought Cyril Gahn in 2019 and gave Gaon a run for his money. But you know, he still got kind of shit kicked in by a guy that's much larger and athletic. So I think Tanner Boser is going to dust Rodrigo Nascimento. I think he's gonna finish him in the first or second round. Bozer's not super insistent on going at people early, but if you give him an opportunity, he's he's gonna take it. And his grappling is like he's he's definitely not bad at grappling. He he just isn't super insistent on pushing a grappling advantage against anyone and He's liable to kind of just get top-gamed for a little while, even in fights that he wins. Like, he got robbed by uh, Aaliyah Latifi pretty hard. He was out body-kicking the fuck out of him. He would just get taken out every once in a while and then spend a couple minutes on bottom. So that's an issue that he could have that I don't expect him to run into in this matchup. No, but he shook it off off and came out like
1: two or three weeks later and just absolutely dusted OSP, so...
0: Yeah uh it, it's worth noting that Tanner Bowser is just very headstrong and he's not going to give up if he has a difficult round i just i just think he's a cultured enough outboxer and and outkicker that he's going to have n- almost no difficulties with Nascimento and probably finish him in the late first or early second mm,
1: let's go uh let's do some quick hits on the rest of these Anthony Hernandez versus Marc-Andre Barrio is like pretty good. It's very middleweight, but they're both very competent and they're going to fucking do MMA. Uh, Damon Jackson versus Pat Sabatini is kind of cool.
0: Pretty ill fight. It's actually an underground banger.
1: Yep. Oh, Loma me is fighting someone. Cool. Jillian Robertson fighting Maria Agapova. One or two things is going to happen in that fight.
0: Yeah, either Jillian Robertson is going to get uh, any grappling exchange at all and then win by RNC as Agapova tries to base up and go to turtle. Uh, Or maybe she just gets on top of Agapova and and like arm bars or something. But
1: also Agapova might knock her out. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she hits hard. I could see her like Cracking Jill and then getting a sneaky Darce or something, or like a, a really fast RNC. She's just a lot more athletic traditionally than Jillian. Yeah,
1: and she is really quick about taking the back when she has someone hurt.
0: Yeah. Aspen Ladd versus Sarah McMahon, kind of a mirror match, just uh... two wrestle boxers, but Aspen Ladd's looked so bad and inconsistent in the last like four or five yeah, years.
1: Yeah, Sarah McMahon is very consistent. She's always going to yeah. do Sarah McMahon. Whereas you just, you you never know what Aspen Lad is going to turn up with.
0: And uh, Tony Grabley is fighting Javid Basharat. That's a good fight. Oh, that's actually
1: pretty cool. Yeah. But uh, what do I have to say about it, other than it's pretty cool. Yeah. Watch it. We'll talk about it if something happens. If you enjoyed this podcast and all the other great stuff Fight Site puts out, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. A pledge of $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content as well as a Discord server where we have a great community of interesting fight fans. We always have great discussions. You can chat to Fight site staff and get together and watch fights. It's always good fun. You should come out, hang out and uh, support the Fight site um, And before I end the episode, this isn't... <laughs> is isn't really the kind of thing we normally do, but I wanted to mention it because it was news that weirdly hit me and Christian harder than we might have expected it to. But um, Elias Theodoru, an uh, MMA fighter, I'm sure a lot of you remember from his MMA run, uh, officially passed away from liver cancer at the age of 34, which fucking sucks. Um, um I just want to take a moment to say, like, you know, a lot, a lot of people kind of clowned on Theodoru for his fighting style, but he was an extremely credible MMA fighter if you actually look at his record. And his three losses were against Derek Brunson, Brad Tavares, and Tiago Santos. You've got literally the two greatest gatekeepers in middleweight history. The, like, literally only elite fighters beat those guys. And Tiago Santos, who beat Jon Jones. And (laughs) there are things you can learn from watching an Elias Theodori fight. And you can never say... That he wasn't trying his fucking hardest.
0: And he was a very notable fighter outside of his fighting career as well. Like things that were attached to his fighting career, but not necessarily uh, uh, like taking place in his fights. Like he got weed to pretty much be legalized for MMA in Canada uh, based on medical reasons. He had, a, uh, I believe it was arthritis in his hands that, that made it to where punching people was hard. So then he started smoking weed before his fights and he actually finished a guy for the first time in a long time when he left the UFC. Uh, He also was the first ring boy for I believe it was an Invicta event which is just legend shit. Uh, He he was just always a very cool guy. He was a great Twitter personality as well. He was a, a more fun fighter than he was given credit for even despite being given a good amount of credit for being a fun guy. And he was a good person. So, you know, rest in peace, Elias Theodoro. This podcast always supports him. Yeah, no music. Yeah,
1: that's the podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.
0: Later.